Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the North American Construction Group earnings call for the fourth quarter and year ended December 31st, 2021. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's prepared remarks, there will be an opportunity for analysts, shareholders, and bondholders to ask questions. The media may monitor this call in listen-only mode. They are free to quote any member of management but they are asked not to quote remarks from any other participant without that participant's permission. The company wishes to confirm that today's comments contain forward-looking information and that actual results could differ materially from a conclusion, forecast, or projection contained in that forward-looking information. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing conclusions or in making forecasts or projections that are reflected in the forward-looking information. Additional information about those material factors is contained in the company's most recent management's discussion and analysis, which is available on Cedar and Edgar, as well as the company's website at nacg.ca. I will now turn the conference over to Joe Lambert, President and CEO. Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining our call today. I'm going to start with our 2021 accomplishments and operational performance before handing it over to Jason for the financial overview. And then I will conclude with the operational priorities and outlook for 2022 before taking your questions. I'd like to start my prepared comments with the tragedy that occurred a little over a month ago on January 6th. As I mentioned in my letter to shareholders, this fatal collision is an event that we do everything in our power to avoid. Our two absolute priorities right now are to one, support the family with anything we can, and two, determine the root cause of this incident, because more than anything else, we wanna make sure this never happens again. We hold the utmost respect for the process that is currently underway and are still actively investigating this event. It's difficult to transition from an event like this, but the remaining slides reflect a long list of annual achievements and records. The calendar year of 2021 was one of the most satisfying of my career, and I am tremendously proud of the NACG team. We are in no way maxed out or done, but I will keep that for the 2022 discussion and hand over to Jason for the financial summary. Thanks, Joe. The financial review starts on slide 13, and that's where I'll begin. As we started last quarter, we will continue to draw our readers' attention to total combined revenue. For those of you that have followed us over the past few years, you'll know that the impact of our joint ventures has grown from zero in 2018, only three short years ago, to what we see today, where in 2021, approximately 30% of our combined gross profit came from our various joint ventures. This is the primary driver of our ability to post 50% of our EBIT from outside the oil sands region. So with that said, total combined revenue for the quarter of $235 million was $65 million or 38% ahead of Q4 2020, which of course is a difficult year to compare against for the pandemic reasons we are all aware of. The $235 million is yet another quarterly record for us as it soundly beat out last quarter's record of $209 million. That said, revenue came in generally as we expected as the quarter enjoyed fairly consistent operating conditions. Revenue achieved in the quarter was not driven by one specific factor, but by the broad listing of mine sites and business lines, which all continue to trend in the right direction. The Millennium, Curl, and Syncrude mines have maintained their demand recovery trends, and we continue to witness firsthand the long-term resiliency of the oil sands region. 
The mobilized fleet at the Fort Hills mine had another full quarter of operations and we remain very excited to be back on that site. The 65% operating utilization achieved in Q4 is the key performance indicator of our performance on site. Revenue from our joint ventures of 54 million was an obvious record, beating out last quarter, Q3 2021, by 26%, and was not driven by and was driven not only by the continued volumes at the gold mine contract in Northern Ontario, but also the increased prominence of our Mikasu joint venture, as well as some initial progress made on the Fargo-Moorhead flood diversion project. Combined gross profit margin of 13.7% was influenced by a wide range of factors, but was most notably impacted by the equipment maintenance required at the Millennium Mine. Workforce availability continues to play a noticeable day-to-day -day factor in our site efficiency as available for work, heavy-duty mechanics, and operators remain in short supply. Other unique factors specific to this Q4 included supply chain disruptions and delays and specific inflationary pressures on certain cost items. Our business is resilient, but not 100% immune to cost pressures, and excluding the normal risks related to operating heavy equipment, we've estimated that gross profit was negatively impacted by two to three million in the, in the quarter under the broad umbrella of COVID-19 supply chain and inflation factors. We continue to be encouraged by the margins achieved as they are trending in the right direction despite the cost and efficiency pressures that we and our customers face on a daily basis. Moving to slide 14, adjusted EBITDA of 56 million was up 24% for Q4 on the revenue factors just mentioned. The margin of 24% reflecting total combined revenue is a strong achievement across many business lines and again indicative of where we see ourselves trending but with improvements still possible. Included in EBITDA is direct general administrative expenses, which were a net $3.7 million in the quarter, equivalent to 2% of revenue. As always, G&A spending remained disciplined in the quarter, but notably benefited from a specific reimbursement of prior period costs in relation to the Fargo-Moorhead project. This cost reimbursement flowed through our G&A as this is where the costs have been incurred in the past. Our low G&A rate, targeted at 4% of revenue, continues to be achieved through cost discipline and strict attention paid to discretionary and non-essential spending, regardless of the revenue levels we achieve. And just for clarity, for those that are looking closely, future earnings from the two Fargo-Moorhead joint ventures will throw, flow through equity earnings consistent with all of our other joint ventures. Going from EBITDA to EBIT, we expensed depreciation equivalent to 13.3% of revenue, which reflected the depreciation rate of our entire business. When looking at just the wholly owned entities and our heavy equipment fleet, which many of you are used to hearing us talk about, the depreciation percentage for the quarter was 16% of revenue and reflected an effective and very active use of our fleet this quarter. Both of these measures compare very favorably to the Q4 2020 equivalents of 16.3% and 19.3% as we both diversify our business into less capital intensive areas and we were able to operate at a much more effective level this quarter when comparing to 2020. Adjusted earnings per share for the quarter of 54 cents was driven by $25.1 million from adjusted EBIT net of interest and taxes. Overall interest ticked up slightly to a 4.7% rate and a $4.9 million cash expense this quarter. These slight increases from Q3 reflect the changes in our debt composition, the timing of our Q4 paydown, as well as some one-time interest expenses we incurred in the quarter. We continue to benefit 
from both posted bank rates as well as very competitive rates in equipment financing, and we fully expect our rates to remain stable in 2022. Moving to slide 15, I'll summarize our cash flow. Net cash provided by operations of $66 million was produced by the business, and given the neutral working capital result in the quarter, the difference between this figure and EBITDA is the cash provided by our joint ventures, which declared dividends in late Q4 and more than offset cash interest paid in the quarter. Sustaining capital of $21 million was dedicated to maintenance of the existing fleet as we make our way through another very busy winter season. We ended the year spending $102 million of sustaining capital, which was within the upper end of our range of $105 million. Joe will touch on our guidance later, but I'd like to briefly mention that for 2022, our stated sustaining capital range is between $110 and $120 million, which accommodates for our increased fleet size. The reason for quickly reiterating this is because our press release had a table with a range that was much too wide, and we wanted to clarify and confirm for our stakeholders that there is no change to the $110 to $120 million range that was disclosed back in October. Moving to slide 16, we provided a quick snapshot of how we allocated capital in 2021. The free cash flow generated in Q4 in particular allowed for the pay down of senior debt and resulted in a fairly even split for the year amongst the three categories of growth spending, debt reduction, and direct shareholder activity, for which we include the NCIB activity, dividends, and the trust purchases. Moving to our balance sheet on slide 17, liquidity of approximately $200 million reflects our strong position as we benefit from the strong free cash flow generation in the year, as well as the issuance of $75 million of convertible debentures earlier this year. On a trailing 12-month basis, our senior leverage ratio, as calculated by our credit facility, is now at 1.5 times. Net debt levels dropped $40 million in the quarter as we focused the $48 million of free cash flow on debt reduction. And lastly, for my part, uh, on slide 18, we show our actual results against our stated targets which we initially made back in October 2020, almost a year and a half ago. As you can see, we are happy to report that our strong operational performance allowed for the achievement of all of these financial metrics. This slide provides a nice segue for me to turn the call back to Joe to discuss our outlook for 2022. Thanks, Jason. Looking at slide 20, this slide summarizes our priorities for 2022. I will discuss each of these items separately on the following slides, but wanted to capture the overarching theme in discussing this slide. I'm probably showing my age here, but there's a phrase from the late 60s, early 70s that I feel really captures our focus in 2022. The phrase is keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on is about doing your best and being persistent. For NACG, that means keep delivering against the strategy and keep improving. Moving on to slide 21, the Fargo-Moorhead project is progressing well, and we expect to commence earthworks this summer. The equipment fleet has been procured, and the focus is on planning and hiring. NACG has a project management culture which follows the principle that a job well begun is half done. So we expect a smooth project startup that we can share with you in the later half of the year. On slide 22, we highlight our continued expansion and advancement of our equipment maintenance capabilities. I mentioned earlier that the business is in no way maxed out. With our current oil sands demand and low cost provider status, we could gain another 10 to 15% in our oil sands business by increasing fleet availability. This is because our availability is limited by available maintenance workforce. Maintenance labor, 
specifically heavy equipment technicians, are in high demand and in some areas such as the Fort McMurray area are in extremely low supply. This labor supply issue affects everyone working in that area. Supply of additional field mechanics into our workforce through our union or even support from our OEM vendors is minimal if not non-existent. This skilled maintenance labor supply issue is not a new concern, but our business continues to manage this as few others can. Most businesses in the region don't have the capabilities that NACG has. At NACG, we continue to look at new ways to improve our labor situation with key focus on two areas. Number one is how do we get more skilled maintenance workforce into the Fort McMurray region? To address this issue, we have steadily increased our apprentice program and today have around 55 ticketed trades apprentices, which is around tenfold what it was five years ago, and an area we continue to expand. We likewise have developed what we call a bench hand program, whereby we train people to do as many of the maintenance activities where a trades ticket is not required, thereby freeing up more of our heavy equipment technicians to do tasks where a trades ticket is required. We promote same or similar program implementation with our vendors, our clients, and even our competitors, as this is an industry-wide issue. Secondly, and what really separates us from others, is our Atchison facility. The in-house work we do here and the maintenance support we get from our recent acquisition of DGI Trading. The building and expansion of this facility and the work we have brought in-house has provided many benefits. The cost savings have been significant and support our strategy of being low-cost provider in a cyclical commodity business. But what often gets missed is the labor benefits. The Edmonton area is an easier place to find skilled trades and apprentices. With our world-class facility, interesting work that few can perform, such as whole machine rebuilds and component remanufacturing, competitive wages, and opportunities to advance or work in other areas, we have a compelling model for recruiting and retaining our skilled trades capacity. So with our expanded Atchison facility and increasing workforce, we not only lower our costs, but we can move equipment down here and take some load off the field service and shops. Since we built the initial Atchison facility and including the subsequent expansions, we expect to have increased shop labor hours fourfold, adding about 270,000 man hours per year, or the rough equivalent of 130 shop workers per year. Although not totally a one-for-one -one offset, the large majority of these skilled workers would have needed to have been sourced into the difficult Fort McMurray region had we not had the facilities and workforce available in Atchison. I don't usually go into this much detail on this call, but felt this area of our business is an important area for those interested in our company to understand. Hopefully one day soon, we will get another opportunity to hold an open house or investor day to allow anyone interested to see it firsthand. Slides 23 and 24 expand on our maintenance skills for sourcing used equipment and components and rebuilding whole machines or remanufacturing components. We have previously shown the significant savings of our in-house rebuilds and component remanufacturing, but I would like to highlight the added value and risk reduction that our DGI business and in-house maintenance skills bring. Similar to what many have experienced in the automotive industry, the rise in demand and supply chain disruptions have also affected the heavy equipment business. As new equipment prices increase or deliveries are delayed, more used equipment will be purchased and repaired. This increased demand in repairing and rebuilding components and equipment will probably stress many vendors and drive increased pricing and delayed deliveries. By having the in-house skills and capacity to do our own remanufacturing, rebuilding, and repairs, we will not be subject to those same pressures. Of the few vendors that can supply used equipment and components and can remanufacture and repair them, even fewer of them have access to core machines and components such as NACG has through our DGI business, which is highlighted on slide 24. Lastly, in regards to maintenance, 
The increased skilled labor capacity, in-house rebuild, and remanufacturing skills primarily benefit our operations through increased equipment availability and lower costs. Secondarily, in an area we continue to grow, is our external maintenance market. The more capacity we build, the more we can offer these same repair and rebuild values to others. With that expanded description of our maintenance business, I'll try and speed up through the remaining slides. On slide 25, you'll see our bid pipeline remains strong, and we expect to continue to have success in all commodity areas. One item of note is that at this time of year, we generally don't have a lot of active tenders in the oil sands market. Typically, this changes in late Q1 to early Q2, which is when most summer civil construction works are tendered. We expect our tender wins and subsequent increases to backlog, shown on the next slide, will grow meaningfully later in Q1 or early Q2. Slides 27 to 29 highlight some key areas of our progress on sustainability, including emissions reductions, inclusivity and diversity, and indigenous partnership. These three slides provide a great summary of the progress we have made in all these areas. But I would point anyone with more interest to our 2022 sustainability report, also released yesterday, for a more detailed description of the progress we have made and targets we have set. On my final slide 30, this slide for me really shows the value of my new keep on keeping on mantra. Performing the plan and generating approximately 100 million of free cash flow will allow for meaningful capital allocation to debt reduction, share purchases, and growth via bolt-on M&A or fleet additions. It's disappointing that our multiples have not responded to the great strides we have made in regards to profitability, diversification, and backlog. We will continue to explain our business better and pull all the valuation levers we can to address this with the latest one being the doubling of our dividend rate, which we approved this week. Last but not least, we have capacity within our fleet and demand from our marketplace that continues to push us to improve equipment availability and outperform, outperform even these expectations. With that, I'll open it up for any questions you may have. Thank you. To ask a question, please press star one on your touchtone phone. <clears throat> if you wish to withdraw your question, you can press the pound sign. Once you have completed your questions and would like to return to the queue, please press star 1. After a brief pause, we will begin the Q&A section. And your first question comes from the line of Jacob Bout with CIBC. Hi. Uh, good morning, Joe and Jason. Uh, this is uh, Raul on for Jacob. Good morning. Um, good morning. Morning. Um, I, I just had a question on the Q4 uh, gross margin. So we saw some margin pressure from required maintenance activity, particularly at the Millennium Mine. So just curious to know why there wasn't a similar impact at other mines, and, and is this more of a one-off sort of thing, or could we expect more of this through 2022? I, the reason it was... Well, first of all, the reason it exists is a buildup for increased work over winter. So you, you, you catch up on your backlog of all your uh, maintenance that you have because all your fleet's going to be running in the winter. And the, the reason it's highlighted as millennials is because that's where the largest portion of our fleet is. So it, it just happens to be where they were at the time. And, uh, okay. you know, we, we do typically see it when our, our winter season is extremely busy. And so we, we tend to... Uh, you know, in the late Q3, early Q4, um, pick up on our all of our maintenance repair work to make sure everything's running. All right. Okay. Yep. That's helpful. Thanks. And and maybe just on backlog. Um, so it was down quarter on quarter, but still much higher than a year ago. Um, based on the visibility of your bidding pipeline today, um, how do you see backlog backlog levels trending through the year? I know you had mentioned that you do expect a bunch of the oil sands work to be tendered in the first half, uh, but just, just curious as to the levels and, and how they trend uh, through the year. I'm, I'm looking for uh, an increase in backlog the end of this year from what it was last year. So I, I expect we're going to win our fair share of projects and hopefully extend term on, on work that we already have. 
I would add our, our backlog is, is contractual in nature, so our backlog is quite uh, specific to contracts. So a, as we complete the work, it's going to draw down. Um, so the increases will come through uh, one contracts and projects. Right. Okay. And uh, maybe just the last one for me. Um, so, so nice uptick in equipment utilization in Q4. Uh, but with the ramp of uh, Omicron in recent months, do you expect there to be more of a impact, like a COVID impact, uh, in terms of labor availability uh, for Q1, or do you do you see uh, utilization rates continuing to improve on a year-on-year year basis? I, you know, I'd say we we had some absenteeism from the Omicron wave of of COVID from. Um, mid-December through to about now, it's really coming down quick, like just like everyone else. You know, it's actually has, even though it was a much higher level of infection rates in Omicron, um, it, it was actually worse at this time last year because of the amount of close contacts and the isolations that we had to do with close contacts and the amount of time they had to spend in quarantine. So even though there was more individuals with infections who are not attending, uh, we didn't see as many in because of the close contact stuff. Great. Okay. Thank you. That's it for me. Thank no you. Worries. And your next question comes from the line of Yuri Link with Canaccord Genuity. Hey, good morning, guys. Morning, Yuri. Morning, Yuri. Morning. Um, I thought slide 11 was, was interesting. Um, it's showing your your operating hours on the legacy fleet are still below uh, pre-pandemic levels. Um, is that because you've got fewer assets or, or less demand, or is it a result of the joint ventures? Just how should we think about that uh, going forward? I, it, it's actually, uh, I'd say, slight increase. I would also remember that we actually have taken some of our assets and put them into those joint ventures, as an example, that Northern Ontario gold mine. So, um, you know, the reporting side of that might not be as accurate as you think, but uh, overall the trending is absolutely accurate, so that it's increasing. And I, I expect this to be um, at pre-pandemic levels going forward. Okay. Um, and, and much more consistent in the in the Q2s and Q3s than historically uh, was there that cover up what yeah, you're yeah. thinking you're yeah and that brings me to my to my second question um, related to that I mean now that half of your half of your EBIT is outside of the oil sands um, any kind of guideposts in terms of how we should think about how the quarters shake out um, in terms of, of contribution to full year EBITDA. I mean, we, we generally have a, a pretty big dip um, Q2 from Q1. Um, any any color on, on how we should think about that, especially with Fargo Moorhead ramping up uh, in, the, in the summer? Yeah, it's a great question. We were looking at that. I, I think for 2022 in specific, um, it's looking quite flat, uh, the quarters. Uh, We'll see how Q4 looks with the Northern Gold Mine, um, but Q4 could be, uh, you know, oddly one of our lower quarters, um, given uh, what happens there. But um, I would say the uniqueness of Fargo uh, hopefully ramping up in Q2 will offset a strong Q1, and then and then being fully engaged in Q3 uh, with Nuna having such a strong Q3 in their base business um, really results in 2022 showing quite a, a flat profile, actually, all four quarters. Okay. Thank you, guys. I'll turn it over. All right. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Aaron McNeil with TD Securities. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. I'm not sure if this one's for, for Jason or Joe, so I'll leave it to you guys. But you obviously doubled the dividend. Don't want to diminish that. Uh, but still pretty small in the context of your overall capital allocation. So I guess the question is, you know, you've, you've earmarked deleveraging for most of your free cash flow this year, a little bit for the NCIB, the dividend, but I guess what's the message to shareholders? Uh, is your goal to deleverage 
or is it a stopgap to sort of prep the balance sheet for other longer-term opportunities, you know, like larger diversified bids or M&A? Like, I guess I'm just, A, I guess, trying to get a sense of where you think leverage should shake out and B, you know, what your, your longer-term capital allocation of, uh, plans are. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I, I, you know, on, on this capital allocation, Aaron, I think what, what we're showing here is that we think there's some great opportunities to both pull some shareholder-friendly levers, be dividends, share purchases. Um, this is a year where we'll actually be reviewing dividends twice because we generally do it in the fall, and last year we pushed it into this into this quarter. So we'll, we'll actually have a second review of with our board of dividends in the fall. Um, and but with those moves, we still have an opportunity. We, you know, we're still showing an ability of what I see as a, a good vertical integrated bolt-on M&A that's not real huge. But uh, you know, I thought DGI was a great acquisition last year, and we think there might be opportunities for that. If if something bigger came up and it was accretive, absolutely, we'll look at it. Um, you know, with our multiples, we don't necessarily see that as a high likelihood. That's why it's not really reflected in anything there. And then that still allows for a meaningful reduction of debt. So, um, and like I said, in in, in the, the presentation is we're, we're looking at every lever we can pull uh, on our capital allocation that can can get us what we think is the right, the value of our business. And uh, we'll continue to look at, at at all areas there. And maybe Jason on where you think optimal leverage should be. Yeah, I think we, you know, we gave a nice range there for net debt. I think 1.2 to 1.7. Um, you know, we look at companies that are in the low ones, and and they do seem to reflect strong share uh, multiples. Uh, so, you know, I think if we can get into the low ones, that's great. Um, this to me feels a little bit like we're getting back into pre-COVID or 2019 year where we wanted to drive down debt and and see what that meant. Um, from a shareholder perspective, and so um, we're just going to play out the year and, and put up uh, the performance that, that we expect and, and see how things play out, but um, we'd love to be in that, that 1.2 to 1.7 range uh, by the end of the year. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'll ask a slightly different question, but related. You know, it seems like there's a few additional diversified projects in your bid pipeline in the active tender phase, you know, when, when I compare this quarter slide deck versus last quarter, can you maybe give me a sense of what you're seeing in terms of incremental opportunities and, you know, is, is there a, a capital component that might be attached to those opportunities? Uh, I, I, well, first of all, I think that the higher proportion is because, as I mentioned, a lot of the oil sand summer bids don't come out until late Q1, early Q2. But, but we are seeing more opportunities on the diversification side. Uh, we see a great opportunity in Alaska gold mine that we uh, hopefully know about here in the, in the uh, end of this quarter, beginning of next quarter. And, uh, you know, we continue to see other opportunities in, in other commodity areas, including iron ore and, uh, and um, even, even the potash side. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a, just a great... Uh, line of, of bids we've seen. Some of these can come and go very quickly. They permitting or or they can't get financing if it's a junior and things like that. So some of these things do pop on and pop off. Um, but I will say there's a uh, several of those blue dots on there that I'm very confident will go forward, including that Alaska gold mine. And I can confirm, Aaron, like nothing on the bid pipeline slide would require working capital investment. Um, similar to Fargo-Moorhead, which we've really enjoyed. You know, financial close happens in the quarter, but no working capital investment was required by us in, into either joint venture. These, these big projects are 
are designed to be cash flow positive from from day one for the uh, you know the successful proponents. So um, the growth spending that we put in in our in our guidance is really, as Joe mentioned, you know if bolt-ons could become available um, or incremental noticeable increases to our fleet where we we make strategic investments but the the growth capital is not designed to support that bid pipeline slide yeah and I, and same thing for that alaska mine it's actually um all of our existing assets assets we have right now for that um so I, you know i don't from what i can see in that bid pipeline i don't see anything with major capital additions required okay Understood. Uh, one final question for me, kind of a, a bit of an oddball, but you know, weather in Alberta has been all over the place in Q1. Really cold, really warm. <laughs> Is there any implications for you know your your Q1 um, quarter just uh, for your your core oil sands operation? Uh, no, I think you know we 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 actually got quite a bit done and and welcomed the cold weather that was. Uh, late December through um, the end of kind of January, um, the warm stretch really hasn't affected our, our winter works. Uh, I think we're in an excellent position um, in in our swap over of our winter works into overburden works uh, here in, in Q1, and I don't think it, we're going to be impacted regardless of the timing of spring breakup on this. Okay, great. I'll uh, turn it over. Thanks for taking my question. Thanks, Aaron. Your next question comes from the line of Tim Monticello with ATB Capital Markets. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Tim. Um, you got to be quick on the draw to get some questions in on this thing. I think most of mine have been answered so far. Um, but perhaps on the, the project opportunities, you've called out a few that you've been following. Um, I appreciate that. Um, a couple others that I was curious about was the Bath and Land project. Um, obviously, there's the, the Calgary flood uh, diversion project and a couple that you're chasing in Quebec on the non-oil sand side. I wonder if you can just give a little bit of an update on those ones. I didn't catch the last half after Baffinland. What'd you the ones you're looking at, Tim? Oh, uh, the ones that you guys were, were chasing in Quebec. I think one was back on the bid sheet at, at the last update. Yeah, I, I, I uh, don't think it's been awarded anybody but we haven't heard any response on the Quebec one either and in uh, Baffinland it is in that it is in that bid uh, bid pipeline there and I think we have pretty high confidence in uh, from what we've seen in community approval uh, going forward that they are they are gonna uh, advance that project but again it's you know it's in that permitting process where you you're never 100% until it's done right and um, so I, I, but I'm, I'm, I think it'd be a great project, especially for Nuna, and then an opportunity for us to participate in as well. Okay, um, and then on the oil sand side, and, and kind of referring to slide 36, with crude prices, you know, well above the $65 per barrel mark, um, what are you hearing from your customers in terms of expansions and debottlenecking projects, and perhaps you know? adding scope to, to current op operations that, you know, you're working on today? I, you know, the overburden and winter reclamation work, I, I think more than anything else, I think we have opportunities to do more if we can get more of our fleet running and do more than we expected with a higher availability. And that's what I was talking about, the opportunity for that 10 to 15%. When, when it comes to the deep bottlenecking and that, those are actually the summer civil projects that I expect we're going to hear about here in Q1 or Q2 that really, those are really the telltale signs for us when we're in an up cycle or not is when there's significant amounts of summer civil construction because a lot of that this projects are, are more discretionary and so when we see more it's so I, that's what I expect to see Tim is, is more of those summer civil projects, MSC walls um, that, that support projects that they're doing for demodelacking or, or growing their production. Okay, so I guess if I was to rephrase what I've heard is that labor capacity is the biggest constraint on, on increasing utilization of the current fleet during busy times, but you could see some upside in sort of the summer periods uh, based on some expansion work in, in terms of civil construction. 
Yeah, then the labor is mechanics, heavy equipment technicians. We we can, it, it, it's it's stressed on the operator side, but we're very good at finding inexperienced operators and training them, and and getting them up to speed. You can't do that overnight with mechanics. Uh, there have to be ticketed trades. It's three and four year programs. Um, we can train operators very quickly, and we have very good training teams to do that. Uh, the mechanics, and specifically, are very hard. Okay. And then um, last one for me here, just on the, the EBITDA guidance range for 2022, can you just talk a little bit about what you would include in that top end and what would, you know, what would be included in the bottom end of that range? Yeah, to me, it's, it's project execution ranges, uh, particularly, I, I think Fargo has some uncertainty about, you know, how much work will get done. And so that uh, is a big um, factor. And then equipment utilization, is, is a, as Joe's touched on many times, is, is a defining uh, factor in, in the top end and the bottom end of the ranges. Um, we, don't, we don't have, to quote your Baffinland question, you know, we don't have Baffinland in the top end and then not in the bottom end. It's, the ranges is based on existing work and contracts that are in place. So it comes down to execution and and uh, how the projects and, and the sites perform. Yeah, I'd, I'd say there's some timing in that too, Tim, and that, you know, we, when you transition the fleet out of that Northern Ontario gold mine, um, right now it's anticipated that it's in Q4. If that work is actually expanded or extended, then that, you know, kind of loss of operating hours for the, for the demob um, and the remote back into wherever they're going is is in there. And so if that gets extended or you find more work for it in the area, um, those are the opportunities on the upside. Okay. All right, that's great, color. I appreciate it, guys. I'll turn it back. No worries. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Fast with Raymond James. Yeah, good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, as you reflect on the DGI acquisition, uh, could you provide some color on how it has performed relative uh, to your expectations? And then if you see opportunities for expanding uh, that part of the business. I, I can touch on expectations. Uh, it, it actually, it, for six months, we had a kind of a 12 month target, but for, as of six months, it was, it was bang on the, uh, the model that we had, we had used to uh, support the purchase. So, um, and, and they feel like they're lagging in, in expectations. The management team in Australia, they'd like to be, they'd like to be higher. Um, travel restrictions out of Australia have been very restrictive, uh, but it, it's essentially hit our expectations dead on. And as far as further expansion, I, Joe will probably like to touch on that. Actually, we had uh, two main operating guys in the office yesterday and had great discussions because there, there's excellent potential, like I said, uh, both in our fleet and servicing us, but the uh, the external maintenance market because, as I stated, there's more used equipment and more repair work going on because of the price and availability of new gear. Um, I expect their demand is going to continue to increase because that's that's the work they do is supplying core components into into the uh, re repair and reuse cycle of, of of the business. And I also think it, even with our discussions, there's there's a lot more work we can do and integrate our businesses with them. And uh, this is the first face-to-face -face we've had with them. And so it's a great opportunity for us to, to understand it better. And, and they're doing a significant amount of business in out, right here in Alberta, outside of us. So um, I, I you know, look forward to being able to tell you more specifics on it as we go forward. And, uh, and I'd say that's probably Q2 reporting, Q3 time frame, I'll be able to be a little more specific in what we're doing there. But I do think we're going to have some opportunities to integrate them further into our business and grow their work around here. Okay, good stuff. I look forward to more color there. Um, so, Jason, I might have missed this, but are you able to quantify the impact on the reimbursement from Fargo-Moorhead uh, spending in the quarter just that flowed through SG&A? Yeah, I, I think you know, put it in my script, but the difference between our run rate of a little over 4% of GNA and the 2% that we um, posted is, is the Delta. So you get in kind of the $5 million range uh, as far as the, the Q4 impact. 
And uh, again, you know, Fargo earnings will continue, and so it's it feels uh, one time to certain people, but that's a continuing source of EBITDA moving forward. But that's kind of order of magnitude how it hit. Um, you know, moving forward, it'll all be in equity earnings, but the way the transaction happened in Q4, the, the majority of the earnings was in, in G&A, but there was a small portion reported in equity earnings in Q4. Okay, fair enough. That's it for me. Thanks. Your next question comes from Maxim Sitchiff with National Bank Financial. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Max. Uh, Joe, just wanted to to follow up on the Fargo-Moorhead project. Maybe, uh, do you mind providing any color in terms of um, sort of any initial surprises, a relationship with the client, the GB partners? So um, anything incremental on on the project you can you can speak of? You know, it's it's right now. It's all about the planning and processing and working, getting the uh, approvals with the authority. Um, you know, I think it's pretty much going as planned. Uh, we our procurement side of things uh, and the equipment has has uh, gone well. I think um, you know the the real work side of this for us on the earthworks execution side is going to start in the summer and that hiring portion. Uh, that's the real push, Max. So it's, you know, the relationships are fine. The relationship with authorities are fine. There's a lot of things that permitting-wise, land acquisitions they're doing through this time frame. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I haven't seen anything move in our time frame for boots on the ground. So uh, it's, it's really focused on, on planning right now and, and continuing to, uh, to work the hiring marketplace. Right. And in terms of equipment procurement, so like obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, delays right now and tightness in the used equipment market, but so you still believe that you should be able to hit um, sort of the capacity requirements to start on the project um, with what you have in hand or what you can, or where you have the visibility to source that equipment, right? Yeah. As soon as we had the award and, the, and knew the financial close date, Max, we were working with the, with the suppliers to make sure... We locked that stuff in, and we did, and we will get our equipment on time as needed. Okay, that's super helpful. Thank you. And just l- last question, uh, more sort of uh, high level. Um, uh, in the presentation, uh, the reference to you know the fact that um, the producers still um, move most of the overburden um, versus kind of you guys or the contracting. Uh, supply chain in general. Just curious in terms of if you are seeing any incremental movement. Uh, to uh, increase your your market share there, um, yes, maybe any color uh, from a let's call it medium term perspective. Thanks. I, I mean, it's it's all speculative, Max. But this is really when people say, "Well, we're seventy percent of the marketplace." Well, we're seventy percent of the contract marketplace, but that's seven percent of really the the overall volumes that are being moved there because the clients do the same work as we do. So what I look at is when, you know, there's several places where people are debottlenecking or, or pushing through more throughput. And as you've always heard me say it a thousand times, that, you know, there's four yards of material for every barrel. So when somebody says they're going to produce 100,000 barrels a day more, it's 400,000 um, BCM of material that needs to be moved to produce that. So those are the opportunities. And I think specifically um, there's a couple of areas of focus on on changing in the way they look at cutoff grades and in the fines content of the ore from the owner's side that you can get a little more insight in on the Alberta Energy Regulator stuff, but it's it's been stuff that's been transpiring over the last five odd years uh, that I think will improve the quality of the ore and increase the volumes of materials that get moved. And um, I think we are in a great position to be the guys that help move that. Okay, super helpful as always. Thank you so much. That's it for me. Don't worry. Thank you, Max. And your next question comes from Richard Dernley with Longport Partners. Good morning. Uh, to, to pick up on that last question, uh, when I got first got involved with your company a uh, hundred years ago, uh, the, the discussion of uh, doing more than just overburden uh, was was on the table, and and then it kind of went away. 
Uh, and now here it is, uh, alive in slide 38. Has has there been a meaningful change, or am I did I just misinterpret that whole flow? No, Richard. You know that that slide really is more on the overburden side. Uh, you know, I think there still is an opportunity. It's it's not an area I think that industry is in right now. Because giving up ore is giving up your revenue stream, and that's going to take a lot of trust for the client and something we continue to work on. But what I'm talking about is the volumes of overburden moved and, and are going to increase, both with increasing production of barrels, uh, but the other side of it is increasing strip ratios. And that strip ratio is increasing because of reclassifications of ore because of fines content. So those overburden volumes are going to increase. And we think we can get a larger proportion of those, especially if they're over shorter time frames, um, because our, our clients typically aren't looking to buy 25-year assets for a five-year peak in, in overburden stripping. And that's where we can come in and look more at the peak shaving for, for them all. Does that, that answer your question? Yeah, Richard? okay. Now, now let, let's tie that ability to do peak shaving into uh, the next question, which... Uh, going back to slide nine, the uh, utilization of the fleet. Uh, per, first, um, you know, in the in the fourth quarter, you 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 get up into the 75, 80 percent utilization every once in a while. But uh, other than uh, sorry, the first quarter. But other than that, you know, this the 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 mid 60s seems to be, you know, the the peak area. Um, is that going to change in the future? That's what we're trying to do, Richard, is keeping that, that 7% CAGR line you see on that slide and keeping them bringing that up. And the way we're looking at doing that, the diversification side is what we're looking to, to really prop up the Q2 and Q3, and that's via Nuna and via getting more summer work where our smaller equipment fleet was underutilized in New Oil Sands. And then just driving the whole line up by having increased mechanical availability and increased demand from our clients. So, yeah, we 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 want to get all of those dots above the that trend line and keep that trend line going up. Uh, but but that the you know you mentioned several times uh, the fact that basically you're fully utilized. So that that suggests, you know, in the fourth quarter that 65% is, you know, effective full capacity. Yeah, but that, what I'm saying there is of what we have available to run, too, and I'm saying that what I'm trying to tell on that is there's opportunities for us to increase the hours available, mechanically available, to utilize those. So you're looking at utilization of, op, of hours when the truck's available. We need to make more trucks mechanically available by increasing and improving on our on our maintenance work um, over and above to to get over and above that Kager line that you see right there. Uh, Okie doke. Okay, thanks. Thanks for thank oh, you, Richard. Oh, what, one one other thing back back to this uh, graph. If if you you know the the new um, NOA, which kind of started in seventeen. You know, I would say that that seven uh, percent Kager line is actually flat uh, to down. Of course, you got COVID, so we'll take take that bottom out. You know, if I was eyeballing that, I'd I'd say that's kind of flat at sixty percent. Uh, but that's just me. Well, it's a calculation, Richard, so it shouldn't be something we have to argue about. So I'm drawn that <laughs> You know, that, that line's drawn from the, the Q1 2015 through through Q4, and that's that's a calculated line. Yeah. It's not it's not something we interpret or anything. So, um, you know, happy to draw one up for you if you want on, on whatever time frame you're looking at. But I think more than anything, we're, we're showing a consistent trend of, of improvement and, uh, and the increasing on those hours. Every every year on year, right? Okay, thanks. No worries, everyone. And as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Tim Monticello with ATB Capital Markets. 
Hey guys, me again. Um, welcome hey, back. Welcome back. <laughs> Thought you got rid of me. Um, can you guys just talk a little bit about the aspirational targets you set in um, the sustainability report around scope one emissions intensity reduction? You got you know 10% reduction by 2025, which is near term. Good to see that. 20% 20 by 2028, and then net zero by 2050. Uh, what's it going to take to get there? And do you expect capex? Um, allocation towards those ESG goals? I think one of the, one of the key things for us, Tim, is that we, we're, we wanted to do things that are practical that we know what the numbers are from. So those 10 and 20% are based on actual allocation of technology we think will be available in that time frame. And the key ones for us on the 10% are idle reduction through our telematic systems and stop-start technology. That's the key driver for that first 10%. Uh, those technologies exist, um, as you know from our previous discussions on telematics. Uh, the next jump after that for the 20% is really looking at more of the hybrid technology of, of getting smaller engines with battery support. Uh, that technology obviously exists in the automotive side and is not as nearly as complicated as uh, fuel cell electric vehicles or full electric vehicles in, in that kind of area. So those are the drivers for that. The 2050 and, and hopefully something we can report on in more detail and in interim steps uh, to that is, is really, in my opinion, driven by hydrogen and fuel cell EVs, hydrogen combustion, uh, where, where the emissions are, are uh, zero or near zero, especially when it's, when it's combined with carbon capture and blue hydrogen. So the, the near term, that 10 and 20 are driven specifically by those technologies. And after that, it's, it's more so from the hydrogen side. Okay, um, that's helpful. In terms of the near term outlook for telematics, the, the CapEx for the year, you guys have done, talked a little bit about that, but zero is the low end. So are you expecting to spend money on telematics in 2022? Um, so, you know, what does that look like? Um, and then I guess yeah, as we, you look at hybrid technology through the rest of the decade um, and incorporating that in the fleet, will that be done um, just at, on a basis of uh, equipment rebuilds and replacements, or do you expect to have, like, retrofits of, of equipment with, um, you know, remaining useful lives on the engines? Yeah, the, the telematics capital is actually in our budget and in our forecasted, where I think we're adding 400 odd machines uh, this year. and We should have the bulk of our heavy equipment fleet done by the end of this year. Uh, and there's the stop-start technology is, is, um, isn't is a, a large capital side of it. And I think it'll actually be a lot of it driven out of the telematics side. Um, so I don't expect any meaningful capital other than what we've already put out there. Um, the hybrid side in the longer term there's going to be capital associated with that, but I actually think it's offsetting in that it, at the time you're going to uh, replace an engine, as an example, you're actually going to replace it with a smaller engine and a battery setup. That's how I expect it to happen. And so I don't think that capital difference is going to be a huge amount because you're going to have a savings on the smaller diesel engine you're putting in and an expense on, on a battery setup, if you would. So I... I I don't know enough about it right now to be definitive for you, Tim, but I do think it's going to be a bit of a swap with, with maybe a slight increase on versus what a normal engine remanufacturer and rebuild would have cost. No, no, that's uh, a great color. I appreciate it. Okay. And our, our, our whole plan there, if you go through that sustainability report, is regardless of what we use for technology, with our skills and our in-house skills on the equipment, we expect to retrofit our machines. Okay, got it. Thanks. Excellent. Have a good Pre one, appreciate those questions, Tim. And this concludes the Q&A section of the call. I will pass the call over to Joe Lambert, President and CEO, for closing remarks. Thanks, Rebecca, and thanks again, everyone, for joining us today. And until next time, keep on keeping on. Thank you. This concludes the North American Construction Group.
Q4 2021 conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.